do us first this one favor. Wait until it is after dark. Have you done so? Go into a room in your house or home where there are no windows, or failing this, draw the blinds across what windows there are so that only the merest fraction of ambient light might escape through. Have you done so? And have you also made certain that there are no digital readouts or active screen faces that might break the spell you are preparing to cast? Shut them off. Close them up. Have you done so? Good. Now, turn the lights off. You won't feel anything at first. And why would you? You are still in your same safe space, your house, your home. Now, take a step. And another. One more, if you please. And now, a strange thing may begin to occur. You know you are still in your same safe space, in your house, in your home. But now, there is an uncertainty. Keep walking. Don't be afraid. Not yet. You know there are around you familiar shapes. You know that there's a wall here, a table there. You know approximately how many steps you have before you reach the stairs. But you cannot be certain exactly where they lie. Lying in wait for you to bump into, for you to trip over for you to stumble. And the dark is so very thick. And this game is starting to seem much less fun than it seemed at first. You begin to think that it would be best for you to go back, flip the switch, and dispel all uncertainties. But while you may know approximately how many steps you have before you reach the switch again, you cannot be certain. And are there other noises now? Stirrings and whirrings and clanks and thuds. Noises that fold into the pitter and patter of daily life. When the lights are on, you can assign each sound to its source within a moment of searching. But all around you is uncertainty now. And the dark is so very thick. You wade in deeper, deeper still. But now you cannot tell if you are moving towards or away from your goal. You can't even say what your goal even is anymore. The dark appears perfect and complete, yet you can sense the shapes behind the dark, those familiar forms rendered monstrous by their sudden lack of physicality. They hover around you like waiting ghosts, exuding presence without being present. You are lost, 
lost in that same safe space, in your house, in your home. You are lost in the dark. And now, now is the time to be afraid. Don't talk, just listen. Mustafa and his young ward Terry wandered following their evacuation from the keep of the man McRae. This had not been the plan. In truth, there had been no plan, only a sudden, dizzying rush for survival in the moments after Mustafa realized that the man he worked for was holding his own daughter hostage, implying to orchestrate a civil war that would lead the meager number of humans still scraping by in the city beneath the black sun that much closer to extinction. Cassandra, the Mamacrae's daughter, had fled, escaping with her friend and Mustafa assumed, and we may confirm, beloved Priya Patel. They had been led to freedom by a man whose name Mustafa never learned, but who we may tell you was known as Mr. Mayhew. But when Mr. Mayhew attempted to lead Mustafa and Terry into the same dimension of endless darkness, he caught a bullet through the forehead and left him stranded in the dark. Mustafa and Terry remained by Mr. Mayhew's body for some time, though neither could say for how long. There was nothing they could do for him, and no sense or use trying to carry the corpse but it seemed wrong somehow to leave the body alone to rot in the bleak. And perhaps, but only perhaps, some part of man and boy both thought and hoped that perhaps, just perhaps, there would prove to be some loophole to mortality in this dark place. Just as magic, both minuscule and cosmological, had interfered in their lives on an almost daily basis since they and the city entire were lost to the world of the Black Sun. Perhaps, but maybe perhaps, there was a way around even death. But Mr. Mayhew was dead, and dead he remained. There was no sense of direction, nor any use for it, not in that dark. A strange ambience allowed Mustafa and Terry to discern each other and the dead body, but vision extended almost no further. Finally, Mustafa decided they had waited long enough. Probably they had already wasted too much time, time that could have been spent searching for something, anything, 
that could either help them survive or leave them free of the twilight world. He and Terry bowed their heads in a moment of reflection to the man who had saved their lives, even if there was a chance it would turn out to be a momentary stay of execution. This man had given them a chance, and in the city beneath the black sun and the dark lands beyond and around it, sometimes a chance was all you got. Often, you were lucky to get that much. What happened next was up to you and the gods, and you were the only part of that equation that you could rely on. Terry stood by his guardian's side and faced the dark. So, he said, where to? Mustafa shut his eyes and closed his mind. He freed himself from the thick, impenetrable dark of the twilight world, silencing even Terry from his thoughts. Behind his eyelids was a darkness that pulsed and beat, that throbbed and thrummed with illusions of color and hints of shapes. Mustafa listened for words from a voice that spoke without lips. He opened his eyes and pointed that way. Terry quickly decided that the dark itself was not the scary part. Oh, it was off-putting to be sure. That vast ocean of nothing, extending outwards in all directions, on every side, above you, below. But once the initial animal panic subsided, once the fight-or-flight instincts were wrestled down and the heart rate allowed to settle, you could adjust to the dark, the same way humans are equipped to adjust to just about anything. He even made a game of it for a little while, calling out his name, Mustafa's name, the names of states and cities, various cuss words, testing how long his echoes would go for, and the different effects achieved by different volumes and pitches. He kept this up until Mustafa hushed him, warning Terry that he should not waste energy when they didn't know how long they would be without food or water. As they walked on in silence, Terry realized something. Six years and a million lifetimes ago, back before the city fell, back when he had been enrolled in a normal school like a normal boy, he had learned that echoes were the product of sound waves striking a surface and bouncing back. So if that was the case, what was producing the echoes he'd been hearing? Did this place have walls? If so, where were they? And what lay outside them? Did this place have a ceiling? If so, how high up did it extend? 
Was this place, if it was a place, something naturally occurring? Or had he and Mustafa been trapped someplace built by human or other hands? And this, in turn, led Terry to the thought that was really, really scary. See, see, it was one thing to adjust to the blank nothing, to the ocean of black and the bottomless silence. But the nothingness was not blank. The ground looked like sheer black beneath his feet, but Terry could feel differences in texture and tread, as the ground sometimes felt like polished floor, sometimes like uneven earth. At certain points, it felt to Terry that he and Mustafa both were walking up steep inclines, were plodding down gradual descents, but there was nothing to back these feelings up, no visual confirmation to either ascertain or undermine the differences in terrain. His head throbbed and his stomach churned. His head throbbed and his stomach churned with a discord, so much so that Terry actually stopped and shut his eyes, finding greater comfort in the fireworks behind his eyelids than the silent wail of this dark land. Life had been simpler when he was a monster. He could always just fly off and find something small and defenseless to rip into pieces until his frustration was properly vented. Humans had fewer acceptable outlets. They walked until Terry thought his legs might give out. When Mustafa noted this distress, he called a halt. Terry took his shirt off and, though it was sweaty and stunk, rolled it into a makeshift pillow underneath his head. The ground, whatever it was, was chilled to the touch, but not uncomfortably so. Besides, Terry had slept in harsher conditions. Mustafa did not lie down, but instead sat by the boy. In the dark, Terry could see his mouth begin to work. Don't, Terry said. Don't what? Mustafa replied. Don't tell me that you're sorry, Terry said, because if you tell me that you're sorry, it means that you're sorry that you got me killed. So if you say it, if you say I'm sorry to me, I'll know there's no hope, and I'm not ready for that yet. I, I used to think it wouldn't be that big of a deal, dying, I mean, but you have to get involved and fuck up my life making me feel like it might be worth living. So don't you even think about quitting on me already. In the dark, Terry could see Mustafa smile. They both slept, long sleeps, free of dreams. And when they awoke, it was to discover that somewhere, deeper into the dark, there was the sound of rain.
Raindrops, when you are not expecting to feel them, can strike like hammer blows or like sudden needles. The first few drops that hit Mustafa and Terry sent man and boy both lurching in panic. But it was only water they reminded themselves, each other. Only water. Hopefully. The intermittent spitting became a steady drizzle, which in turn escalated to a full downpour until Mustafa and Terry both were soaked through to the bone. They tilted their heads back and caught what they could in their mouths, the first hint of any kind of sustenance in at least a day. Terry studied the water rippling off the surface of black on which they walked. The water splattered and shimmered as it might off of pavement. They did not realize they had arrived at a body of water until Mustafa plunged into it the ground disappearing underfoot and replaced by cold, black water. Terry dragged him back to the surface, the former officer spluttering and choking. Fuck! He cried. What the fuck? If Terry really studied the area, not for the first time he missed the enhanced night vision that had been gifted to him as a gargoyle. How did humans even survive? He could actually make out the line where the ground gave way to water. It was not a steady drop-off, like the beach sinking to meet the sea, but sudden and immediate. And if he really trained his eyes on the near distance, he could see that the rain struck differently here. These were not the plips of water striking solidity. These were the plops of water striking water. Terry and Mustafa began to trace the edge of the water, the man shivering and shaking as he trailed behind the boy. Even paying as close attention as he could, there were still moments when Terry lost sight of the exact line between land and water, and his foot, sometimes the left, sometimes the right, would plunge into the water before reflexes snapped him back. His feet squelched, Mustafa's teeth chattered, and the rain continued to fall. The further they walked, the more the path in front of them narrowed, until almost every other step went splash into the chill black water. A brief effort was made to turn around and head back towards the coast, such as it was, but it quickly became apparent that the water had overtaken the path behind them. Or perhaps, the path had turned and split somewhere without their knowing. It made no difference. They were lost in the dark, and the only way out was forward. Silently, they trudged on, no longer even bothering to swear or gasp when the path disappeared and they tripped or plunged into the water. They instead simply hauled themselves back onto the path usually with a groan, and fell back into step, and the path grew narrower still. It grew so narrow that Terry was forced to walk sideways, edging his feet bit by bit in a shuffling scuttle. Water rimmed at his heels and at his toes, ripples spreading out from his skitterings over the water's surface. Mustafa slowly inched his way beside him, 
until his shoe caught on a slippery patch and he began to waver. He grabbed wildly, unwittingly seizing Terry by the shoulder. He let go as soon as he realized what he had done, but it was too late. They tumbled into the chill black, one on one side of the path, the other on the other. Slowly, miserably, man and boy hauled themselves back onto the path. This time, they did not rise right away. Instead, they sat and panted and ate. <sighs> What's the point? Terry sighed. He rubbed at his eyes. His scalp hurt from the cold. His joints ached from the walking. His chill had sunk down into the bone. This path will just get smaller and smaller the longer we go until eventually it runs out. Hey now, Mustafa said, putting his hand on the boy's shoulder. You didn't let me quit. What makes you think I'm letting you off that easy? We're in a bad way, I won't deny it. But we're alive, aren't we? Barely. Mustafa slapped Terry's chest. That heart is beating, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Then we have a chance. Still, in the city, or wherever the hell this is, sometimes a chance is all you get, and that's if you get lucky, which most aren't. The rest is up to you. So come on. He stood. Get up. Terry began to rise. And then somewhere, somewhere in that deep, cold dark, something one splash. Both man and boy turned their heads so quick they almost fell over again. Easy, Mustafa said. Easy. They waited, each moment in frozen silence feeling the cold just that little bit more, feeling the tension rise that little bit higher. When nothing appeared or sounded again, Mustafa exhaled. I think we should move, Terry. Wait, the boy said. I see. Do you see that? At first, Mustafa saw nothing but the same unbroken, unwavering field of black. But, no. If he squinted in the direction Terry pointed, he could just about make out. What was that? A wave moved against the rocking of the water. It moved towards them. Go! Mustafa yelled at Terry. The boy stood, rigid, staring. Go! Mustafa cried again. This time he reached to shake the boy from his trance, but his foot caught and he fell backwards, once more again into the water. It rushed up his nostrils, down his throat, sucking at his clothes and shoes. Mustafa kicked to the surface of the water and at once saw Terry, 
now on his knees and extending a hand out towards him. Mustafa, grab my hand! One stroke, two, and he was back in reach. He took Terry's hand and the boy began to pull. That's when she rose from the water. She had no eyes. For what use could eyes be in a world of darkness? She had no ears, for there was no sound in the underwater kingdom. She hunted by vibration, by motion. She had no hair, and her skin was so translucent that from the path Terry could see her tremoring and pulsing organs throb beneath the flesh. What she had were strong hands tipped with claws. With these, she gripped Mustafa in a lover's embrace. What she had were teeth, needle-sharp. With these, she pierced the flesh of his throat. Black-red blood coursed out into the water. No! Terry screamed. No! Mustafa met the boy's eyes. No! Terry screamed, wept, begged, Please, Jesus, fuck no! She was pulling him down now. Or was that just the last long dark seeping over his vision? Was that cold only the water? He fought the clean dark and found Terry's face once more. I'm sorry, was all he managed. And then she pulled him beneath the surface, leaving not a ripple. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new season of Blacks and Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brandon Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, Blacks and Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by Cinepunks. You can also listen to, well, uh, Cinepunks, obviously. Uh, there's also Horror Business, The Mandate, Loud Fast Philly, Wine and Cheese. Uh, there's a brand new podcast covering Alpha Flight, which is like Canadian superheroes. I guess. <laughs> I can also go to the Cinepunks website to find tons of great writing about uh, movies, music, Canadian superheroes. Uh, we got it all covered right there. If you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a huge, huge help. And please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, uh, whatever you got. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. You can follow me on Twitter at the True Brennan F. Uh, for news and updates about the show and just other weird stuff that happens in my mind, I guess. Uh, Cinepunks, all Cinepunks programming is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They make really, really cool clothing to suit whatever design you have. Uh, I have a number of their shorts myself, including a cool t-shirt with Come Drink With Me poster on it. Anyway, uh, I hope you guys are ready for some really cool stuff this season. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Uh, January 28th with uh, Alone in the Dark. That's that's ominous right there. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. I hope you'll join me in a couple weeks, like I said, on January 28th for the next one. And I hope you'll be here all season for all the crazy twists and turns of Black Sun Dispatches. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.